Is this loud enough? Yeah, right? I'm loud enough. All right. Welcome to our last large group for this semester. Yay! Oh, boo! Boo! Oh, you're happy? So happy. All right, I'm not going to... I don't think I need to introduce myself. You guys should know who I am. I am the campus director here at Yonsei. I did cut my hair. Uh, it's very short. It's like shorter. It's it's the shortest it's been in a long time. So I don't pay attention when I'm cutting my hair because like I trust. I have this bond with my hair cutter, and so I just sit there and she. I just go, you know, you know, and then I'm like on my phone, and then I kind of can see like all my hair on the ground. So I'm just like, wait a minute. And I looked up. I was like, oh, it's gone. So. I mean, you know, it feels lighter and everything, but I did cut my hair. Today is my last uh, message, my last time speaking as Yonsei's campus director. It could possibly be my last, like, message ever if I never go back into history. <laughs> but who knows? God only knows. But, um, yeah, for those of you guys that don't know, I, I think tonight I'm going to just share a lot of what, how, you know, what God's been teaching me in these last four and a half years of serving in this ministry and uh, what I've been doing in Korea. And so, yeah, I've been here, it's been four and a half years now. So, I, like I said, it's my ninth semester. That's longer than any of you guys should be in school, right? That's like two more, no, right? One more extra semester than you guys should be in school, right? Most of you, most of you guys are eight semesters. Uh, but, um, that's a lot of students coming in and out. I actually counted. I went back and I counted how many students is that, like, um, actually, no, I only counted for two years how many students that was, because I was doing this full-time for two years at Yonsei, and in my two years, I've reached out to around 250 students coming in and out, uh, of Yonsei and getting to, you know, get, get them getting plugged into small groups and coming out to large groups and things like that. That's a lot of students. It's a lot, and like, you know, even when I get to speak at orientation, each semester, that's 900 students that I speak in front of. That's probably more than I'll ever, like, I don't think I'll ever stand in that many people, in front of that many people and ever talk again. That's crazy. But, um, yeah, that's pretty cool, the kind of platform I get, kind of platform we get to minister to students here at Yonsei. And a lot of you guys actually are curious, like, how did I get here? I'm not a student. A lot of people think I'm a college student leading this ministry. I am not a college student. I graduated four and a half years ago. I went to UCI. Zot, zot. No one. Dang it. I lost all my hoobes. Okay, but I, I'm from California. How did I get here? In 2012, I studied abroad here at Yonsei. I actually was sitting in these seats listening to Pastor Aaron preach to me and my uh, large group. And I went from being a student, just a student from one semester. I was a one-year student. Then I went on missions with Philly. I saw some crazy things on my mission trip. I came back and Pastor Aaron was like, hey, we don't offer this to one-year students normally, but like I see something in you and I want to offer you student leadership. And so we got some student leaders in this room. Raise your hand if you're a student leader in Emmaus currently. These guys are student leaders. Oh, they, you guys are happy, right? <laughs> student leaders. But I was a student leader and um, yeah, I went, for, I did that for one semester, served, started leading small groups. And then I went back home because I need to graduate. And so I went home, finished one semester. And after I graduated, Pastor Aaron actually FaceTimed me. And so uh, I didn't know that this, that like, you know, that's not very common. She doesn't FaceTime a lot of people, but so I feel very honored. But she FaceTimed me and she's just kind of asking me, hey, how's school? How's life in America? What are you doing after graduation? Right. And so for me, I wasn't sure. I didn't really have solid plans. So I was just like, oh, I don't know. Like at the time, I was working for Link. If you guys know Link, uh, Liberty North Korea, I actually was an intern for them and I worked with them for about two years. 
So I actually helped them set up their office here in Korea as well uh, about two years ago or four years ago when I was here in Korea, actually. And um, I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll just get a full-time job, work with them because that's kind of what God put on my heart. But she actually challenged me and was like, hey, Sarah, I want to, I feel like God's put this on my heart, but I want to ask you if you would consider coming back to Korea to serve as a Maya staff, right? To come and serve as what Della, Kate, and uh, Todd and stuff are doing, right? And so for me, at the time, it was, I think because I was so in love with Jesus and I was so in awe of what God did in that year, it was an easy yes for me. Uh, I had been in Korea for a year before and it was, an awesome experience, like being here, being a part of New Philly, getting my life transformed, encountering Jesus. And so for me, it was pretty much like, you know, I don't have any solid plans. Why not? And so um, I kind of forgot about this. But actually, when I was a student at a church at one of the New Philly retreats, there was an altar call where one of the guest speakers came up and actually invited up students and really asked students, hey, if you feel like you've been blessed by this ministry and you feel like God is challenging you to come back to Korea to serve, I want you to come and receive prayer. And in my, like, young you know, like zeal, I guess I went up and I totally forgot about that until recently, but I did go up. And so technically I came back to Korea to honor that commitment that I made to God and um, through the invitation of Pastor Aaron. So I came back at the end of 2013. And so that brought me back to Korea. And uh, I will continue on with the story a little bit later. But um, yeah, I want to, let me just pray for us before I get into, into things. Okay, let me just pray. Uh, Father, uh, we thank you, God, for this large tree of thanking God for bringing us here on this journey. For me, it's been four and a half years, but for many of us, it's just been a semester. But Father, we pray, God, that today, uh, just through my sharing and through the revelations, God, that you've given me over the years I've been here, Lord, I pray, God, that it would be both an inspiration and encouragement and also a challenge to our students here. And I pray, God, that tonight you would do something special in our hearts. We thank you, Lord, and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so uh, I got to give a disclaimer about what I'm going to talk about in the beginning because you guys are going to get confused. But a few weeks ago, I was laying in bed and I was like, God, what do you want me to preach about? It's my last one. What should I do? And so the thing is, um, I actually have like a note. You know, if you have iPhone, there's notes. And so I have a note that for the past like four and a half years, kind of when God speaks to me and gives me revelation or something, I write it down on my phone. So technically, I have a long ongoing list of possible sermons that I could preach. So I do that just for me to remember, but I also do that just in case I have like this kind of, you know, thing in like directory in my phone. So if you guys ever steal my phone, you need to preach. I have a note that like has all these things, right? But um, I encourage you guys to do that as well. If God speaks to you a word or gives you something, write it down and keep a journal of it, a log of it, because it'll come useful. But um, I was kind of in bed looking through. I was like, God, okay, so there's that one. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. Uh, you know, but I didn't really get anything like nothing really kind of stuck out to me and so I was kind of frustrated I was like god I don't know what to do like what should I preach I don't know I don't know but um you know I did what all young people do when you need some inspiration I went to Facebook okay I went to Facebook uh I went to Facebook and first I saw this picture you know when you scroll on your news feed there's like random videos that pop up and so I stumbled upon this video and um I saw you know, so I saw this video and I saw this photo and I'll show you guys in a bit. But um, after that, it kind of, it piqued an interest in me. And so you guys will see why. But then I went to CNN and I was like reading all these news articles. Old people, we actually go to CNN often. BBC News, we write, read the news and things like that. And uh, I stumbled upon like more articles and videos even on YouTube of um, people overdosing on opioids. 
Okay. So I don't know if you guys have ever seen these pictures. I'm gonna have some pictures. Have you guys seen this picture? This is a picture I saw on my news feed. These are two people. They're not just sleeping on the sidewalk. They're actually they've overdosed on a drug. And so there's another picture of parents with their kid in the back. And I don't know if there's another picture. Yeah, and the lady that passed out in the shopping center, like with her daughter. And so I, I, I'm kind of a nerd. And so when I read these things and I hear, oh, there's an epidemic or something's going on, I actually research. And so I do that. And uh, I just want to explain. I, I'm not showing you <laughs> drug pictures on my last large group just because I want to. And I know some of my student leaders are probably like, oh, it's because she used to do drugs back in the day. So like whatever. Uh, there's that is true. But um, I kind of won. My purpose for this is also to, I want you guys to kind of practice knowing what's going on in the world. So I don't know if you guys were aware that this is crazy in America right now. So many people are ODing. So many people are uh, hooked on opioids. They're pretty much heroin and also over-the-counter drugs. And um, so that's one reason why I'm showing you this. But also, too, um, I kind of had to stop and ask myself. Like, when I look at pictures like, you know, those ones I just showed you, like, God, why? Like, why would people, uh, like, choose to overdose on drugs like that in front of their, like, two-year-old kid in the backseat? Why would someone choose to get on drugs and go to the supermarket and go shopping with their little girl? Right? Why? Why? God, why would people do that? And, um, yeah, I, I personally think it's because pain is so much easier to deal with when you're numb. Why do you think people do drugs, right, to numb themselves of pain, to get, to escape because it's easier to avoid than to deal with the pain that you're feeling. It's easier to run away, right? And so, you know, after all these, like, videos and all these research sprees that I went, um, I, I found, I think, yeah, I don't want you guys to, like, okay, this is just an intro, okay? So I don't want you guys to leave large and be like, oh, Sarah taught us about drugs. So I'm going to teach you a little bit about drugs, okay, in a, in a moment. But there's a purpose to it, okay? So uh, don't judge me, okay? And so I'm gonna, there's some slides that I created, okay? That I'm teaching you guys some drugs, okay? So, okay. This, these are called psychoactive drugs, okay? Example. Examples are marijuana and MDMA or ecstasy, right? And if you guys look, what does it treat? What do these things treat? Cause some of it is actually medical, right? Marijuana can be medical, but what does it do? It's for, it treats depression and anxiety, right? And, uh, ecstasy doesn't treat anything, it's illegal. But <laughs> completely illegal. But uh, and and what does it cause? So you it treats depression, anxiety. But what does it cause? When you take these drugs, what does it do? It causes euphoria and empathy. Euphoria means like the state of happiness, like oh, blissful life is good kind of thing, right? So that's that's psychoactive drugs. Next slide, opioids, right? So opioids examples are codeine, oxycontin, vitamin, and don't memorize these. You don't need to know these, but I'm just using an example, okay? What does it do? What do these drugs do? They treat pain, right? Pain. And what does it cause? Euphoria, happiness, right? Blissfulness. Life is good. Next, sedatives. There's a drug called Xanax. What does it do? It treats anxiety, right? Why are you laughing, Kate? And uh, it causes your brain to slow down, right? And so, like, I was actually, like, after I Googled all these videos... And because I said I'm a nerd, so I kind of researched, like, okay, look at all these drugs. What are the causes? What does it do? Why? Why do people take these drugs? I think, essentially, they're pain relievers, right? They're essentially pain relievers. That's what these are. It causes euphoria. It causes happiness. It causes empathy. It causes bliss. It masks all your pain. They're pain relievers. You take it because of pain. You want to numb yourself, right? And so uh, I know this personally. 
Because those are all the drugs I've actually tried throughout my life. So I know I don't look like it, but I was heavily addicted to drugs six years ago. And so all these things I just listed, these are all drugs that I used to do. So I am a sure, I'm example, real life example, that that is why people do these drugs is to escape pain, right? To have that moment of happiness. Um, but you know, what did these drugs actually do? What did it do for me? I can tell you this. They made me black out. I don't know if you guys have ever blacked out before. Everyone looks really interested right now. You're interested, huh? Can I talk about drugs? I knew it. Okay. Uh, so basically, when you black out, you don't remember anything. I don't know if any of you guys have felt that feeling of, like, waking up, and you don't know what you did the last 24 hours. It's like, how did I even get here? Like, how, did I, how am I in bed right now? How did I, like, even brush my teeth? Like, what the? I don't remember any of that. But the thing is, even though you don't remember anything that happened, doesn't mean nothing happened. Right? Something happened in those hours that you just can't remember. Right? And so uh, it doesn't mean that when you do these drugs and you black out that everything goes away. Because you wake up and everything's still there. Right? Nothing has changed. They're there and they're, they're going to be there. They were there all along. Right? And so what, these, what drugs do essentially it tricks your brain. It makes, this cha- makes changes in your brain to trick you that you're feeling something that you're not. Right? Because the reality is everything sucks still. Everything's still life. Life is still there. But when you're on it, you, you don't recognize it, right? And so all that to say, see, that was just an example. I'm not talking about drugs for the rest of the night. All that to say is that I, I believe that we are all wired to be averse to pain. Like, I think all of us, uh, when we see pain and when we feel pain, we just want to run the other way. Do you guys agree? Do you want to go into dangerous things and you want to be hurt? You want to touch that electrical wire? No, you want to stay away from it. Because pain sucks. We don't want to deal with pain. And so, um, yeah, and even like these drugs, these people that are ODing, what are they doing? They're willing to kill themselves just to numb themselves for momentarily from, you know, the, the reality of life. But I want to let you guys know today that pain has a purpose in our lives. Can I get an amen? Amen. Pain has a purpose in our lives. And sometimes God's plan is, to, is for us to experience pain and loneliness and rejection. Because on the other side of that, there is his love and his acceptance, right? I'm going to say that again. Sometimes God wants us to experience pain and rejection and loneliness. Why? Because on on the other side of that, with God, there's his love and acceptance, right? So today, my title, the message of my title is No Pain, No Gain. I made that. I was very proud. I'm practicing my, uh, like, slide-making skills. It's been fun. Okay. Um, Thank you. One person had you. All right. Uh, if you guys have your Bibles with me, I'm going to open up the Bible. If you guys can open to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. And like a good preacher, I did provide the slides for you. Yes. In very cute font. Yeah, if you guys want me to make slides for your presentation, just ask me. I got you. I'm pretty good at making slides. All right, if you guys are ready, I'm going to read it for you. It says, huh? Oh, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. I'll read it. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, 
insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. Right. So many of you guys have heard that passage, and uh, I'm gonna break it down for you. And um, actually, I got I got kind of the makings of this sermon just you know throughout. I pick it up here and there, you know, on my notes on my phone. But um, yeah, for me, okay, let's just break into go into what's going on here. The Apostle Paul, he is writing and he's asking God, God, remove this thorn in my flesh. Right. But who is it given by? If you look back on the passage, who gave it to him? messenger of satan right it says it was a messenger satan sent to harass him but it was also there to keep him from becoming what conceited so can i propose this to you that it could be one of this could be one of those job you know the book of job job moments where satan is the one tormenting but god is the one permitting right because it says the thorn was given by a messenger of satan but it was also given to him to keep him from being conceited Right, so I propose that yeah, the Satan is the one that gave this thorn in his flesh. But I believe I could be wrong. But I believe that that God permitted that thorn to be there. Why? To keep him from being conceited, because Paul at this time was getting like taken to third heaven. He was getting all these revelations. He was getting visions. He was getting stopped in the middle of the street by angels and all these things. And he was getting all these uh, we like to call it heavy revy, heavy revelations from the Lord. And because God was kind of speaking to him and giving all these things, I believe that because of that, God didn't want him to like, you know, like get like a big head and be like, yeah, I'm the best. But to keep him from being conceited, right, God kind of, you know, gave him this thorn. And, you know, if you, if you look at the life of Paul, yes, he has all these crazy encounters with the Lord. But he was also, he endured a lot of pain in his life, like pain that we will never understand. He was beaten. How many of you guys have been beaten before? Actually, I don't want to ask that question. He's been stoned. He's been shipwrecked. He's been thrown into prison. I have never been thrown into prison, but I imagine that's very scary, right? And he's he endured all these different kind of hardships, all for the gospel. But here in this passage, God is, or Paul is asking God, God, please remove this uh, this thorn away from me. He actually asked God three times, Lord, take it from me. But what does God do? Does God take it away? No, good student, Anna. <laughs> right? What does he do? What does he say? He just says, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Right? And that's essentially what, what God says to him. And, um, and I think what I took away from looking at this passage, I'm not going to break down the rest of the passage, but what I took away, and I was, I was thinking about this, reflecting on it. Um, like, I believe that this is the way God kind of, leads us the way god disciples us he disciples us in this way he is a god that is a good shepherd right uh he leads us into passive righteousness for his name's sake but he sometimes also leads us into the valley of the shadow of death right because in death we learn that he, we find resurrection life you can't have resurrection life if you if there's no death right there's there's nothing you have to die first and so um you know there was a, per, a sermon a long time ago i think I believe it was when I was a student, maybe. Pastor Christian preached a while back, and he encouraged us to look at each other not as who we are today, but look at each other as who God is calling us to be. So, for example, I don't look at Todd and just see who he is today and all of the good things that he is and all the bad things that he may be, but I choose to look at him and see, like, who God is calling him to be. 
So when I look at my mom and my dad, I look at my friends, I look at my brother and sister, I look at their lives and I look at who they are today. I don't just see who they are today and all that they are today, but I also see, I choose to see them in light where God is calling them to be this and this and this, and they're still on that path of sanctification, right? And so that's, I believe that's how God sees us. He sees us with a greater perspective. He doesn't just see us today as who we are today with our present successes and failures, but he sees all way past that. He already knows who we're going to become, right? He already, he already sees everything and he knows and he knows better. And so he's going to disciple us in that way because he sees far beyond what we see, right? And so that's why I believe sometimes God, he uses pain, he uses disappointments not to punish us because he knows something better is coming. This is going to um, help them grow. This is going to help them become something better, right? And so um, I'm going to continue with my story about how I came to Korea, right? So I came again in 2013 to join MA staff and honor this commitment to serve in this ministry. And so uh, I remember 2013, fall 2013 was my very first semester at KU. So I used to be serving at Korea University all the way in the boonies in Anam. I know it's your rival. So it was very hard for me. I was very torn when I was there. But uh, um, I actually, after the first semester, it was a very hard semester. Uh, our, we used to call ourselves KUDT, stand for KU Dream Team. Because <laughs> we were pretty, uh, we were just really close. So our team was close. So we, at the end of the semester, we have this staff meeting, gathering. And we had dinner together. And uh, we, used, we used to do this thing called AA. It's Appreciation Affirmation. I actually hate it. Because I hate sitting there and someone's just like affirming you. You just have to sit there and be like, thank you, you know? It's hard. But um, I, I actually remembered very recently that John Park, you guys know who John Park is. He's the SNU campus director, um, JP. And uh, he actually prophesied over me that day, that night. And uh, I transcribed it for you guys because I recorded it. And so I'm going to read it for you. And this is like, again, this is 2013, like a few months after I landed and I moved back to Korea. Okay, and it said, he said this. I believe the Lord wants you to know, don't ever discount your sacrifices. A lot of times when you make big decisions, like to come here to Korea and obey God, as time passes, we tend to forget what we've done. But God always remembers and takes everything to heart. Uh, the passage that was highlighted to me was Ezekiel 47. And it talks about how Ezekiel meets a man by the river. And the man says, come, follow me. And he obeys. And right when he gets close to him, the man goes deeper into the water. And then he says again, come, follow me. And he obeys. And then he goes in more and he says, come and follow me. And the water gets higher and higher. And as they go deeper and deeper, Sarah, you are a person that has obeyed in that kind of way. You go deeper and deeper. And that first step of coming to Korea, that has been like ankle deep water. And I'm not talking about faith, but I'm talking about how much deeper God wants to lead you. What God wants to do is go at your pace and he's growing you in a way where you uh, he's growing you in a way where you can say yes lord and go deeper and deeper with him. Right? So that was his prophecy to me and I was like, "Dang, that's pretty good, you know? Shoot, you know?" And uh but you know what happened? Actually, okay. I received that word, yeah, after my first semester at KU. And um yeah, again, like I was feeling good. I was feeling good. I was like, "Yeah, God's taking me deeper. God's going at my own pace. I'm obedient." Heck yeah. Like, this is good. This is good. Good word. Confirmation, JP. I, I, I bear witness. But you know what happened after that? 2014 came. And can I just say that was the worst year of my life. All right? 2014. If you guys ask me what was the hardest year thus far, I would have to say 2014. And uh, let me explain why. Okay? 2014, 
I was working at this hagwon in Cheongdam. And um, back in the days at New Philly, we used to, we have joy, like prayer meetings. And we always pray. You know, you guys know, are aware that the Korean education system here is very competitive. Especially for young kids. It's very competitive. The hagwon life is no joke. I've never experienced that. But I've, I've witnessed, because I've taught students that are like seven years old that are reading novels at a faster pace than I can. You know, and they're writing essays and like, it's like 10 p.m. and they're sitting with me like writing an essay and he's like a seven-year-old kid. And he's like brilliant though. He's super smart. But then there's days where he'll lock himself in a room and start screaming, I want to kill myself. And I'm just sitting there like, because my job is to like proctor his test, right? And I remember sitting at the hagwon being like, dang, what am I doing, you know? Like we pray for, hagwon's like the one I met, you know, for God to bring justice and peace but I'm sitting here like a teacher at this hagwon and I just, I would, that's kind of what I dealt with every day. I felt very helpless and guilty and it was really sad. And on top of that, I was sitting in this hagwon. I remember it was, uh, yeah, the, it was at the beginning of 2014. Uh, I was at my lunch break. I was sitting in the library because I was like hiding because I hate this place, you know? And then my mom calls me and uh, she calls me. And she's like, oh, Sarah, so I have like, um, I have some bad news. And I was like, okay, what is it, right? So she tells me my uh, that my dad, so my dad owned, uh, he had his own business. So what my dad used to do was he would sell car parts to, like, small auto companies, and they will like, buy parts from my dad's company. So he was, like, you know, a car part fixer sender guy. And um, that was pretty much his life. My dad, that's all he did all his life. He didn't really, he didn't even know how to use a computer. He's, like, that kind of old dude that like just all he knows is his work in golf right typical korean american guy a korean american dad and um basically what what was going on was my dad was the building tenant as in he paid rent right to the building owner who was his own uncle so my grandpa right but my mom told me that one day uh actually i knew that my um my family was attending a funeral because that grandpa my my dad's uncle passed away recently so it was they were like dealing with the funeral but what happened was a few weeks after the funeral my mom and dad got a letter in the mail and it was basically from the wife of you know my grandpa so my my dad's aunt pretty much forcing my dad out of his company and shutting it down because they found out that my grandpa had debt to loan sharks and so in order to pay off that debt they needed to force my dad out of his company right and so in an instant, my dad lost everything. His whole life was the company, right, other than golf. And so, um, you know, my dad, she was like, you know, your dad's trying to sell everything and, like, lay, he's, like, you know, trying to lay people off and deal with all these things. And so that was the beginning of, like, my dad's spiral into depression, right? So that was, like, my first couple months in Korea. And I was sitting there, like, awesome, like, cool, God, you know, like, this is great. And so, you know, but that that's kind of how – you know, things were for me. And I, and because the interesting part was I got my hagwon job through my uncle, who is the son of my grandma and grandpa that did that to my dad, right? And so for me, I was sitting there like, oh, I can't work here anymore. So actually, because I was so like traumatized and so devastated by what was going on and like the, I think for me, I, I was just a fresh college grad. So for me to understand like how could family do this to each other? It was really hard for me because I couldn't stand that workplace. I actually quit, like, abruptly. I was like, I can't stay here anymore. I got to go. And uh, because my boss was very mean, she actually withheld my last salary. So I never got paid, like, my last month salary, which I should deserve. But I remember, like, you know, my the people around me, like, Pastor Myung-wa and, like, all my close friends, they were like, you need to call. And, like, that's injustice. 
you gotta get your money back. You know, no matter what. Like even though you like left, they still des- you still deserve the pay because you're like, in a contract. But um, I think for me, because I was so traumatized, I was like, I don't want to deal with my boss. I don't want to deal with that workplace. That I just was like, uh, I'd rather just like. I'll take not getting paid, and I just want to move on with my life. So that was, like, my first, I would say, six months in Korea, and it was just uh, a lot of turmoil. And I think that was the first time I ever experienced depression in my life. So I'm a pretty, like, happy person. But I I would say that, yeah, I felt very depressed. I felt very beaten, and I felt very confused. But at the same time, I knew that I was in the center of God's will. I knew that I was meant to be here in Korea, but I still felt so confused and so hurt and so beaten down. And, um, you know, during this time, I would get confronted by my roommates all the time, right? And so, like, I was living with Pastor Myung. I still live with her now. But, you know, she's a pastor, and so she'll see me, like, coming home, and I'm like, I'm like a blob, and I don't like going out. So she'll confront me and be like, hey, like, you know, this is not how you need to live your life, blah, blah, blah. Pastor Aaron would confront me and be like, hey, you went from, like, a young youthful college grad to, like, a depressed harmony in, like, one day. You know, like something's wrong and all these things. And so, you know, that's kind of how I lived for the most of like 2014. I was just so like dejected. And I know God's called me here, but like everything sucks, you know. And um, that's kind of my attitude. But I remember Churchwide Retreat 2014. So New Philly used to have these big retreats where all of our campuses would come together. Like 500, 600 people would gather together. We'd have a big retreat. And there was... um. I remember that was a really difficult retreat for me as well, but I remember there was this altar call. There was this ministry time, and um, they called up, I believe, the Emmaus staff. So all of those that are serving in college ministry, they called us to come up. And so I was like, ah, oh, dang it. So I went up, and then uh, I was just sitting there, whatever, and then Pastor Myung-hwa comes out of nowhere. Right? She was like, all I, I knew that she was on the other side. The stage was really big. She was on the other side because I could hear her voice, right? Pastor Myung's voice was very distinct and very loud. And so I could hear it over there, but all of a sudden, she's like in front of me and praying for me. And then um, I just, I remember that she said, pretty much she said, like, Sarah, like, God sees all the sacrifices that you've made. And he knows all the pain that you feel. And I know that it feels like a fire, right? And so right when she said fire, no joke, like, I started screaming from the top of my lungs because I felt like my, like, I felt like there was a wick on my head. And someone lit it on fire and it just, like, came So I felt like my whole body was on fire. So I was like screaming while she's, I'm trying to listen to what she's saying. And it was a feeling that I've never felt before. It was a feeling like I actually physically felt pain, like fire, right? And uh, she kept praying and she was saying, uh, and I know that you feel pain. And I feel like you're covered in pain and all you feel is pain. And you feel like you're walking through a furnace. And when she said furnace, it was like another level of like someone threw more oil on me and I was just like more on fire, right? I felt like a flame boy, like walking around. And, uh, and, and she was just saying, like, yeah, but Sarah, it, it, I'm sorry to say this, but I think it's going to get hotter. And then again, it was like another level of, ah, you know. And then uh, she said, but but because it's because God's trying to change your substance. You know when you guys uh, ever did pottery before? Like made clay? So I did it because I was a Girl Scouts for nine years. And uh, we went pottery making. And what they do when you make play clay pots or like cups or whatever when you're done molding it and whatever you need to put it into a hot furnace to make it bake so it comes out and it's like a finished product right so that's what she was pretty much saying what god's trying to do is he's not only molding you and shaping you but he needs you to go through the fire so that when you come out you're you're finished product right he's trying to change your substance he's taking you from something that's like squishy to something that's strong right and so uh, yeah, I, by the time I was like on the ground and I was just like, I remember my, I, like I popped a lot of my blood vessels. It was crazy. Uh, but 
One thing that I, well, two things. One is I resonated exactly with that word. You know, I didn't really share everything to Pastor Manga during those times, but she pretty much pinpointed exactly how I was feeling. And uh, two, I think in that moment when I started screaming because I felt like I was on fire, I think that was me finally being able to release like a year of pent up frustration and a year of pent up um, anger towards God. And um, yeah, God was changing my substance in that moment. And uh and so one thing that, you know, as I was sermon prepping and writing and, and reflecting on my last four and a half years here in Korea and last two years serving, and I was, you know, I read, we read that passage, Second Corinthians. I think I, I think I finally have clarity. Like I was asking God, God, what is my thorn? What is the thorn that's, that's been in my like flesh these, these past four and a half years? Cause I felt like there was one. And uh, God made it very clear for me personally, for everyone, it's different. It could be different in different seasons. But for me, it was definitely, uh, my family. I realized, I realized this very recently. And so I was so angry at God for allowing all these things to erupt, right? After I had already said yes, I said yes to you, God. And then all of a sudden, you, how could you do this? How could you uh, let my dad experience depression and, you know, all this loss and all this slander and all these things and all this hurt? Like, how could you do that to me after I said yes to you, God? You know, after I surrendered to you? And the prayer by Pastor Myung, it definitely opened my eyes to have a different perspective on what was going on in my life. But I couldn't stay in that place, right? I know, like I knew that God is doing something in my life. And, uh, you know, this season is a season of pain, a season of changing my substance, changing my being. But it's not easy to stay in that place. Why? Because I'll get a phone call from my mom and she'll tell me some more things about, you know, my dad. She'll cry on the phone and all these things. And so, you know, whenever those moments will happen, it, it removes me from that place of like, oh, yeah, I know what I'm doing to like, oh, shoot, is this the right thing? I don't know, you know? And, um, yeah, that was the, the thorn in my, in me, you know? And what's weird was that first year when everything was happening, all I wanted to do was to go home. Like all I wanted to do every time my mom called me, every time something happened is I wanted to go home. I wanted to leave Korea. I wanted to turn away and be like, oh, I don't know if this decision was right because of all these things that are happening because I said yes. Right. But the funny thing was, is whenever I would go home, I hated being home. So when I would visit, it's like I come because I want to be here. I'm visiting. Oh, this is great. But then I'm hit with reality of what's going on with my family. Because in Korea, I don't have to deal with it. I only have to deal with it when my mom calls me. But when I'm in America, I have to deal with it every day because I live with my parents, right? And so it's funny how that works. Is like when I don't have it, I want it so bad. But when I have it, oh, I don't want it anymore. You know what I mean? And so what would happen is over the years when I would go visit home, I would hate visiting home. So I would much rather be in Korea living my life just in bliss and euphoria and not knowing what's going on than going home. And and the thing is, whenever I would, like, leave, it would be, like, two weeks in America, and I'd be, like, telling myself, I'm so ready to go back to Korea. I can't deal with this. And so whenever I would land in Korea, I kind of shut off my family. I shut off what's going on. I kind of numb myself to that. I forget. And momentarily, I'll have to remember when mom calls me. But other than that, I'll just, like, block it out. Kind of that's how I... That's kind of how I lived for most of my years here in Korea. Um, and so, yeah, four and a half years later, to be honest, you know, when I'm standing here today, not much has changed, okay? In terms of the my surroundings, right, my dad is still very depressed and hurt. He's still very much the same. My mom is still very bitter at my dad and at my family. And, uh, you know, and, and their relationship is very strained still. Like my parents' marriage is, is has suffered a lot over the years, but you know what I can say has changed is me, 
And I think when I was like preparing this and I was thinking, God, like, why is that? Why is it that nothing has changed four and a half years later, but still something feels different? And, and I'm realizing that, I'm realizing that maybe I think that's the first step is maybe it's not about God getting rid of every hardship, every obstacle, every hindrance, every annoyance, but it, it could just be God dealing with you. It could be God transforming you and changing you, right? That might be what he wants to do. That might be it, the, the it thing, you know? And so, um, I feel like that's what I've been realizing is yeah, even when I went home, I went home this past July and, uh, yeah, when I was home, I realized, like, man, everything's the same. I went on a trip with my fam- with my parents because I purposely wanted to go out with them. And it was, like, it was not very fun. <laughs> it's not very pleasant. But, but you know, what I realized was everything around me was the same. My family situation, the financial burdens, everything. But what was definitely different was myself. And I don't want to be conceited, but I can definitely say confidently that, like, these past four and a half years, I have grown a lot. And I think it's because of the hardships that I had to go through and the obedience that I had to do, right? Whenever God would say go, I would go. Whenever he would say stay, stay, right? Because I could have left that first year in my flesh, but I knew that it wasn't right, and so I stayed. And um, and I believe that because of all these different things that I've encountered over the years, it, it's changed me. And so even though nothing around me has changed, when I go home, things feel so different. Everything's different. At the same time, everything's the same. Why? Because I know that I'm different. And you know, uh, it's funny what song I've been singing to myself the past couple of years. Uh, it's a song that if you guys grew up in the church, you would know this song. But this song is like very, it's a child song, a children's song. But it, it has given me a lot of comfort over the years. And I have the lyrics, but you guys know this song? He's changing me. <laughs> My precious Jesus. I'm not the same. You guys know person that I used to be. Sometimes it's slow going. This is embarrassing. But there's a knowing that someday perfect I will be. And so this song is a song that it's a children's song. You know, it's like not necessarily a worship song, but it's a children's CCM song. And this song actually has given me a lot of strength over the years. It's very childish, but it's a song that gives me hope. Right. And um, to know that, yeah, it is slow going. There's a lot of obstacles and things that get in the way. But Jesus is changing me little by little bit every day. I think that's the Is that the second part? Little by little bit every day, little by little bit every way. Right. And so, um, yeah, I haven't done everything right. But one thing I can confidently say, yeah, is that my last five years of my life, I have obeyed. Um, yeah, I'm not the same person I was years ago. Uh but it's because I chose to obey, even though my flesh was screaming otherwise. It's because of that furnace that I had to go through, that fire of God that changed my substance. I am who I, I am today. And so I feel like now I'm kind of, I made this full circle of like, in the beginning, when I first came to Korea, I wanted to go home, but God said no, so I stayed. Um, and the thing is, like when, remember I told you guys, whenever I would go home, I would end up wanting to leave. So I hated going home in the end. But this time when I went home, and I, share, I think I shared this with the crew. It was actually the first time in my five years that I actually was sad to leave home. Like when I went home this time, and even though it was so painful and so hard to face the reality of, you know, my parents and the things that my dad's going through. But when I, when I was packing on my last day, I was packing to go back to Korea. I looked at my mom because actually my mom packed. I don't really pack. I don't know about you guys, but moms are the best at packing things. 
But she was packing. I was just sitting there watching her. And I looked at her, and I was, like, you know, throwing my stuff to her so she can pack. And then I was like, oh, mom, like, mom, I, I really don't want to go back. Like, I'm actually really sad to go back. And she looked at me, and she's like, you know, that's the first time you've ever said that in, like, all the years that you've visited. And I was like, yeah, that's true. Because it was the first time where I really felt like, man, uh, I feel like even though everything is hard back at home, I feel like I can handle it. And I feel like with with where God's brought me to, I can deal with it. And so, um, yeah, in March of next year, I'll be closing this chapter of my life here in Korea and going home. And, like, I don't know if all of this made sense. I just wanted to share with you guys today in in as brief as I can because I can go on forever. Uh, and if you guys have more questions and want to know more about me, please ask me. But uh, this is what I felt like the Lord wanted me to share is that, you know, in life, disappointments are inevitable. Pain is inevitable. Stuff happens. Shh. Happens, you know. <laughs> Stuff happens. But, you know, no, I'm not going to say it. But if I've learned one thing over the last four and a half years, it's really that, you know, no pain, no gain. Right? If life wasn't difficult, if life wasn't hard, we wouldn't gain anything. Because everything would just be easy and everything would just be handed over to us on a silver platter. But that's not how God works. And I believe that this is how God disciples us. This is how God leads us is through moments of pain and disappointment and sadness. And so my exhortation and encouragement for all you guys is to live lives of obedience. Fully surrender to the Lord and when pains come and they will, don't run away. Don't give up. God is up to something, right? And so I said at large group when I was like bawling, if you guys saw I was crying, and one thing I said was, you know, like, like I, I'll say it again. When there's, like, a common saying of, you know, um, like, I came up, right? When you give something, it's like when you give you invest in something and you get a return that's even greater. You say, oh, yeah, I came up. I came up, man, you know? But I think, honestly, after five years of being in Korea and, you know, serving and having to experience all the things that I did, I can honestly say, like, leaving, I can say, man, I came up. And I think that was my exhortation to you guys is a life of obedience will never come back. Like the return will never be empty. You'll always gain something greater. You'll always come out stronger and better. And so that is my exhortation for you guys is to please live lives of obedience. Say yes to the Lord when he asks you and, and just follow him, right? Like JP prophesied over me, Ezekiel 47. He's going to go at your pace. But every time you say yes to the Lord and you go deeper into the water, God's gonna. God's there with you, right? He's not leaving you, and He'll take care of you. So that is my. That is my exhortation to you.